How many of you had a kind of tough time getting started this morning? Can I see your hand, would you? Well, great. I see some of you. Pat's got two hands up out there. I understand that. Oh, my goodness. Some days more than others. I made it difficult for us this morning because last night when I thought I was setting the alarm, which I did, I got up extra early on Sunday morning, usually about 5, 5.30, and pray and study and think about this service. And I was setting the alarm, but at the same time, it was late. It was almost midnight when I was messing with that clock. And I not only set the alarm for the usual hour, I moved the time up on that digital thing. I moved it up a couple of hours. So this morning, I thought it was, I thought, in fact, Martha mentioned, she said, mine certainly is bright to be this early. It was bright because it was late. <laughs> and so, boy, we hurried and scurried around there to get, uh, to get here to church for the 9.30 service. So I forced down a little coffee and tried to force open my eyes, and so I understand the feeling some of you are having this morning. Now, if the sermon gets a little dull, I hope it won't. If it begins to get to you a little bit, though, and you start catching up on your sleep like some people do, and I, I don't take that really as an insult. Uh, I just take it as a, as a vote of confidence that you have in me that I'm not going to preach any heresy while you're sleeping. You know, that <laughs> you just say, well, well, we can trust Buckner. He's going to be okay. But uh, in a service some time ago, a man, uh, he started, his head started bobbing a little bit and during the sermon, and the man behind him thought he'd help him, and so he took the songbook out of the book rack there, and he cracked him across the back of the neck. Shook the guy a little bit, and he turned around, and over his shoulder, he said to the man, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> well... If, if the person in front of you starts doing that, please don't hit them. They may be praying. Uh, just expect the best and believe the best about them. Leave them alone. Uh, this passage of Scripture, which I read this morning, the King James says, Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This translation, the New International, which I prefer, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The best translation, I believe, of all that I have read of this passage of Scripture is Philip's translation, which begins, with eyes wide open to the mercy of God. It begins with a trumpet sound. Isn't that terrific? With eyes wide open to the mercies of God. Now, your eyes may not be very wide open to the sunshine of this Sunday morning, but I pray that during this service, I and you and every one of us will be awakened to a new realization of the light of God's love and God's mercy. Open your eyes this morning. Open your eyes this morning to God's mercy. It's all around us. 
shining upon us, available to us. And we hear so much about it and we sing so much about it and we go to church and it becomes rather ordinary and prosaic and mundane that it begins to lose its potency and its sting to us. I pray that won't happen to us today. However often you've heard the message of God's love, I pray that this morning it will be like the first time. How often you've thought about the mercies of God's grace, I pray this morning will be like the first announcement you have ever heard that God loves you. Open our eyes, God, to your mercy. The tendency to begin to take the familiar for granted. Something we need to guard against in every area of life. I do not believe that familiarity necessarily breeds contempt. I do believe it can breed indifference if we're not careful about everything and everybody. Heard about a rancher who grew up living near the Grand Canyon. The people were out for the first time seeing the Grand Canyon, exclaiming about its beauty and its marvel and its miracle, the inspiration of it. They ran into this rancher and said to him, Mine must be wonderful to live around the Grand Canyon. He said, yeah, but it's a heck of a place to lose a cow in. <laughs> the same kind of thing can happen to us in God's mercy. It can become ordinary, and commonplace, and taken for granted. How long has it been since you really looked at the pictures that hang on the wall at your home? I mean really looked at them. That's a good reason to move them around occasionally because they get your attention again. How long has it been since you really looked at some of the pictures you have hanging on your wall at home? And that moves me to ask another question. How long has it been since we really looked at the people who live in those rooms with us? The tendency to take others for granted. Man and woman had been married over 30 years and he was sitting there reading the evening newspaper and she was preparing the evening meal. He folded up the paper and looked at her, began to think, and then he said to her, you know, when I look at you and think of all that we have experienced together and all that we have been through and all the marvelous things that God has done for us, think about our children, what a good wife you have been. He said, you know, when I think about all those things, sometimes it's just almost more than I can stand not to tell you that I love you. <laughs> oh, look, my friend, that can happen in home. It can happen in friendship. It can happen to God. When we look at all that he has done for us and think of all of the mercies he has bestowed upon us, sometimes we think, it's, well, it's just almost more than I can do. To keep from saying, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Why don't you tell him that again today and let it be fresh and new? With eyes wide open to the mercy of God. If we will let our eyes get open to the mercy of God, you know what will begin to happen? We will begin to handle some of these external pressures and stresses that are getting us. That's what Paul says right here in the 12th chapter of Romans. If we do a couple of things, and I'm going to get to those in a moment, we will no longer be forced to conform to the pattern of this world. 
Philip's translation, once again, is better, I think, than any. He said, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. You sometimes feel that way. I think we all do. In the last couple of years, I don't know when I've heard so many people in personal, private counseling and just in ordinary conversation, as well as in books and articles, talking about the stresses of life. They seem to be of epidemic proportions. These destructive stresses, these external pressures that squeeze us, squeeze the breath out of us and the life out of us, the light, the buoyancy, and the vitality. Paul is saying here, we do not have to conform, we can be transformed. Emerson said, conformity is the virtue most in demand in society. Conformity. Like the woman who said, I want to be an individualist just like everybody else. Now, I'm not talking about nonconformity as an end within itself, just being different for the sake of being different. That can reveal immaturity. It can reveal uh, an egotistical kind of exhibitionism. What I am saying is this, that God made you unique, and he doesn't want to make you a different person. He wants to make you the best possible you you can be. He wants to release all of this incredible creative ingenuity that he has poured into your life and he doesn't want that life that he has given you squeezed out by others who try to get you to conform to them or to their mode or to their way. That can happen in life. It can happen in business. It can happen in church. It can happen in our religious life. Conformity. E.E. E. Cummings wrote over 20 years ago, to be nobody but yourself in a world that is doing its best night and day to make you somebody else means that you must fight the hardest fight you have ever fought and never stop fighting. Listen to that again. To be nobody but yourself in a world that is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle you will ever fight and never stop fighting. God has come to help you be you with all of your uniqueness and creative genius. He's come to be that internal coach inside your heart, inside your body, inside your mind to help us become what he wants us to be. Tom Landry said, the job of a football coach is to help men do what they do not want to be so that they can become what they've always wanted to be. The job of a football coach is to help men do what they do not want to do so that they can become what they have always wanted to be. Be what? A winner, a champion. And that's exactly what God, this internal coach, has come to do and to help us do, to do some of those things that we need to do in order that we can be all that God wants us to be and all that we want to be in those high moments of resolve which we all experience. 
And the way to that, Paul tells us, is by two great positive attitudes. If you do not want to have the life squeezed out of you by the pressures of this world, if you want to become the person God wants you to become and be the champion God wants you to be, Paul gives us the recipe inspired by God, two great positive statements that keep us from conforming and help us to be transformed. That's what he's saying. Notice that play on words that he uses there. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Don't be squeezed, be liberated. Two things, both positive. The first one, present your body a living sacrifice. Moffat, the great uh, New Testament scholar and translator of the New Testament, says that word should be translated dedicate. I like that word. Present has a sort of a passive feeling about it. Dedicate has a conscious commitment about it. I'm dedicated to doing this. It's not a pastime. It's a preoccupation. I dedicate myself. I make a conscious effort to do it, and I repeat that dedication. Dedicate your body. Your body. That's what Paul uses. He uses the word body. Now he's talking about the physical body and the totality of everything that gets carried around inside that physical body. But Paul was no hater of the body. The Greeks were. The Greeks considered the body a prison house. No Christian ever hated the body. God himself took a body in Jesus Christ. One of the earliest Christian heresies, in fact, the earliest Christian heresy, was something that's called doceticism. The docetic said that Jesus did not really have a human body, that he was only God pretending to be a human. And the first Christian heresy did not question the deity of Jesus, it questioned the humanity of Jesus. And that heresy is still with us, it's still around, and it disguises itself as Christianity, and it is not. God himself became incarnate in a physical body, and Jesus was tempted, just like you are tempted, and he had the same susceptibility that you have, and he could have sinned. If he could not have sinned, if he could not have yielded to the temptation, then God was fooling us. He was putting on an act, and he did not come to put on an act. He had that inner strength of commitment whereby his Father God supported him internally against the external pressures, and he did not sin, but he could have, and he's come to give us the same power and the same inner strength. He said, I've been tempted in every way that you have been tempted. And that's why he's able to help us, to strengthen us, as the King James says, to succor us. Give us his strength. Present your body. Some of you need to start doing what you know you ought to do with your body in terms of the way you live. Anselm was one of the great early church fathers, and someone said to him, Oh, if I only had your faith, I could live your life. He answered, Live my life, you'll begin to have my faith. 
Change your behavior. Change your pattern. Dedicate yourself and your body to a new way. And that inner coach, the Holy Spirit, will begin to take over and some of the things you don't want to do will fall out of your life because you desire to be something because of the positive presence of the living coach, Jesus Christ, within you. Present your body a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now that sounded strange to the Jews. They knew a great deal about dead sacrifices. They made them all the time. They killed bulls. They killed lambs. They killed she-goats. They killed uh, uh, doves. They made all kinds of sacrifices. Listen to the book of Hebrews, 10th chapter. But those sacrifices were an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible, listen to this, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All the sacrifices that you can make will not remove any sins. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, quote, quote Christ, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body, listen to that word again, a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in your word. I have come to do your will, O God. Well, you say, Biden, what does that have to do with us? We don't make those kind of offerings. We don't sacrifice animals. No, we're more subtle about it now. We're more subtle about it. We sacrifice ourselves. We bleed tears. We sacrifice legitimate pleasures. We amputate friends. We kill joy. We kill joy. We don't kill bulls and lambs and goats, but ourselves. Feeling somehow that if I can only suffer more and sacrifice more and bleed more and weep more, I will somehow earn the expiation of my own sins. It won't work. It didn't work for them. It won't work for us. That's why Jesus came. He works for us. He has come to take away our sin by the sacrifice of his own life. That's what he is saying. I gave myself to you for you so that you can live so that you can have life now and life forever and ever. Present, dedicate, commit your body as a living thing. That's the way you serve God. You serve God by living at your office tomorrow at the base in school. The offering you make to God, oh, you may make a money offering to him in one of these plates today or in Sunday school, but the offering you make that makes a difference Day in and day out, life in and life out, is the offering of your living. Live your life filled with joy and peace and love and grace. Permeate this city with that positive love of God. That's what we give him. That's how we live the Christian life. Something that happens in us and then to us and then through us to the wider world. Make that dedication today. Make that presentation today of yourself, your body, as a living thing. Not limited or dying, but living for the glory of God. And then the other you do is to renew your mind. But Paul says here, the second aspect of resisting the stress that is destructive and harmful is renew your mind. Do not be pressured by this world. Do not conform to this world. Do not be squeezed into its mold, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. That is a great word. We try to renew everything, don't we? We try to renew our hair and our teeth and our automobiles and our houses and our bodies. That's fine. That's good. We need to do all we can with what we've got. We need to do the best we can with what we've got. But God wants to come and he wants to put some new thoughts. Now think about that. He wants to replace, not, the answer is not repression, the answer is replacement. He wants to replace some of those old thoughts that haven't been working with some new thoughts. He wants to renew your mind. Make it new. Let me say a word about it. You're not going to remember the Greek word, and it's not essential that you do it. But the, the, the word that Paul uses here for renew is the Greek word anakonosis. A-N-A-K-A-N-O-S-I-S, if you wanted to write it in English. Anakonosis. Yeah, well, big deal. What does that mean? Well, let me explain something. In, in the Greek language, there are two words for the word new, N-E-W. One, they spelled neos. In, we'd spell it N-E-O-S. That meant new. The other word was the word kainos, K-A-I. We'd spell it K-A-I-N-O-S, kainos. They had two words for new. The word neos, N-E-O-S, meant new in time. The word kainos meant new in nature. Let me give you an illustration. I have here a new fountain pen. This was given to me by Rick and Priscilla Donahue in Switzerland. Marvelous. Writes magnificently. You've noticed my writing lately. It's improved. New pen, new handwriting. Okay, this is a new fountain pen. The Greek would say, describing this, that it is naos, N-E-O-S. It is new in time. It is not new in nature. This is not the first fountain pen ever made. If it were, they would describe it as kainos. Got the point? American Airlines may by 500 new planes. They are NEOS planes. The only new airplane, Kynos new, is the one Orville and Wilbur Wright flew. New in nature, something new, something different, something created. Now listen, the tremendous thing God wants to do is to create this new Kynos kind of new in us. Renew, anachinosis. I want to put some totally new thoughts in you. I want to make you a new person. I'm not just going to remodel the old in the sense of time. I'm going to renew you in the sense of eternity. I'm going to make you new. And when the Bible says Christ makes all things new, he says he makes all things carnos. He starts over with a new attitude and a new heart and a new spirit, and he'll give that to us today. He'll give that to you. And if we'll get our eyes wide open to the mercy of God, because that's where it comes from, it comes from a God that is merciful and loving and full of grace, He will renew us if we will present our minds and our bodies and the totality of our person to Him. He will make us new people. Let me use as an example, in conclusion, the oyster. That's right, the oyster. Here is a little oyster. 
out there in the oyster bed, comfortable and relaxed and secure, loving life, just being an oyster. But suddenly, something happens. Because of the swift changing tides or a hurricane or something, a little piece of sand, a little piece of quartz gets inside that shell. Mm, and it hurts that oyster. Where did that come from? I didn't want this. I don't need this. I've got enough problems. Now I've got this intruder in my life. And he's hurting. Now that oyster can have a number of reactions to this intruder. One reaction is hey, he can resolve to do something about it. Now, I want to say a word here. My friend, you can change a lot of the things in your life if you're willing to do it. We spend, and I've spent thousands of hours in these years, as every member of this staff has, counseling with people. One reason for the tremendous commitment of this church to counseling ministry is because we believe that as people understand more about themselves and what happens to them, they can themselves solve a lot of the problems that are besetting them. And you may or may not know that this was the first Southern Baptist church in America to have a full-time minister of counseling and family life, and we now have three, and they do a fantastic job, and I thank God for them every day, and the reason we do it is because we believe that as people begin to understand more about themselves and their world, they can do something about a lot of the things that happen to them. And one of the frustrating things in counseling is to talk with people, and they share with you things they know they need to do and changes they need to make, but they have not yet found the resolve or the courage to do them. And that's what we're here to do is to encourage you to do that. You can make some changes in your life. You are not a victim, hapless and helpless. You can make some decisions that make a difference. But sometimes things come into your life that you cannot remove. Little Oyster tried to get rid of that piece of sand and he couldn't get it out. So he decided to take another approach. He decided to rebel against it. To get mad at the great mathematical God that threw this on him. Get angry. Start hitting other oysters. Why me? Why me? I thought I was as good an oyster as the guy down on the other bed. Why me? Oh, what have I done wrong? And that anger then can degenerate into self-pity. Oh, maybe I was supposed to be a shrimp. I'm no good. I'm a horrible oyster. I've got this intruder in my life. It's ruining my oysterhood. He tries that for a while, that doesn't work. So he tries another approach. He's going to resist it. He's going to give it the old stiff upper shell approach. I'm going to face it and handle it. 
Now he tries that. You get tired sometimes facing it. Run out of oyster energy. There's another way. There's another way. He can begin to secrete this milky-like substance that will begin to surround that intruder, that trouble, that unwanted event. He can begin to weave this milky substance around it, and over a period of time, as you well know, that milky substance finally obscures the intruder and surrounds him with this beautiful pearl hardens into a beautiful piece of jewelry that you wear around your neck or on your wrist. And the pearl is just beauty wrapped around trouble. Look at the pearls you have on this morning or look at the pearls someone else has on. Every time you look at them, let them remind you of the fact that they are nature's answer to trouble. And what God did through nature, he'll do through your nature if you'll let him renew your mind. He will wrap his grace around that intruder, whoever or whatever it might be, and he'll turn something disastrous into something beautiful. It is not just a simile from the Bible. It is the truth of God. The pearl of great price? Who is that? Your Lord, your Savior, who had trouble upon trouble and cross upon cross. And he wrapped his grace and his love around it. And he is the pearl of great price. It is no meaningless simile that the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, we're going to enter the heavenly city through what? Pearly gates. Pearly gates. Pearly gates. We enter through the pearly gates. And do you know what's embedded in the pearl of that gate? His cross. His cross. The worst that man could do, God turned into the best and becomes the entrance to the kingdom of everlasting, of everlasting life. What God did through his Son and what he is doing through his word in the world, he will do in your life and in mine. Dedicate yourself to him. Renew your mind. And the pearls of God's blessing will begin to mount up in your heart and in your life. And you will become a veritable decoration of the grace of God in our world. You will be a living testimony to the love and the grace of God. Do that today. Do that today. Start it right now. Start that new direction today. Start that new commitment today. Commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to his church. Walk down this aisle, this or this, and I'll meet you here and greet you as we did those of the early service, as we do each Sunday. As you come to say, for whatever reason, coming to trust Christ, coming to join from another church, whichever or wherever, whatever that might be, but saying, I want to be a part of this fellowship, come, 
Make that commitment. Dedicate yourself. Present your body. Do it with your body and your mind and your spirit. And that great pearl of God's blessing will begin to surround your life and build up and grow and mature and magnify and bring honor and glory to the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's stand. And as we stand, I wait here at the front. We're going to sing. And as we sing, you come from up in the balcony or the choir, wherever you might be to trust Christ and to make the decision God is leading you to make this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. What are the rest of those words for that first verse? No, there's a word there about renew somewhere. Remake. You'll get to it. When you get to it, it's about you and it's about me. Let's sing it. I'll wait here. You come right now.